The reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 11 to 17, and chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Andrea. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's wonderful. You hear those words from John the Baptist, don't you? And then it's interesting. You come full circle and hear Jesus say the same. When we go out and do mission and do ministry, what is it really about? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When you hear those words, what do they sound like to you? Not to make you feel uncomfortable, but is that something that you have responded to yourself yet? Have you repented of your sins? What does that mean? What does that look like for you? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? That's what Jesus' mission is about. That's what John the Baptist is doing at the beginning. That's him going out to prepare the way for Jesus. Lens, as I look around, I'm trying to see whether some Ash Wednesday ash is still on your foreheads. No? You've, you've, you've wiped it off? Somebody was trying to look closely at mine because it blends in nicely. Um, Ash Wednesday is a wonderful time. What have you given up for Lent? This is the start of Lent. And have you given up anything? Are you taking up anything? Does it matter? In my reading, um, lecture seems to remind us that um, Sundays are you kind of taking a break from fasting. So if you've committed to fasting and um, you've given up various things, on Sunday you can have some of that. So... If you've given up meat on Sunday, you can have a bit of beef, your roast, and then go back to it from Monday to Saturday. Uh, but an interesting thing about the Sabbath where we celebrate and we're reminded of erection. We are learning from Jesus as pilgrims in the wilderness, doing Lent the Jesus way. So I just want to look through a few scenes. And um, the first scene is scene one. In chapter 3, from verse 11 to 15. From verse 11 to 13, John had been baptizing and preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent from your sins. John said he baptizes with water, but he who was coming would baptize in the Spirit. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. And you find in verse 14, as Jesus arrives at the scene and finds John baptizing, Jesus is presenting himself to be baptized as well. Can you imagine, if you were John, what would you be thinking? You've just been preaching. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you've just been saying... I'm baptizing with water, but he who is coming will baptize with the Spirit. And then behold, he who is coming is there. And he is coming to you to be baptized. Just pause for a moment and try and imagine what he might be thinking. So John hesitates and he thinks, um, he isn't sure about baptizing Jesus. 
should Jesus baptize him instead, he wonders. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me, says John. Incarnation. Jesus came into our world and identified with us so that he might save us. Remember the story of the Israelites in the Exodus? They were persecuted, pursued through the Jordan. They went through the waters and were rescued. They went through the waters and then they were rescued. The beautiful picture of baptism there. Jesus' baptism is a pointer to his rescue mission on the cross. His persecution. They went through his persecution. They were pursued by the Egyptians. His crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. That's a great picture. They went through the waters, but the waters did not consume them. They came through. They were delivered. It's a great picture for us. Jesus had no sin, and yet he took our sin upon himself. He was perfect, completely perfect. Go back to that scene and imagine you were John the Baptist, baptizing sinners like you and me. But then Jesus comes, he who has no sin, and presents himself to be baptized. That's that scene. You find scene two still around that same place, the voice from heaven in verse 16 to 17. God the Father says to his son, you are my son, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. In our own baptism, we remember the love of Jesus, that affirmation to us. Many times when somebody's baptized or christened, you're named. You might change your name. I remember many times when Muslims in Uganda got converted, somebody would say, um, I would like a new name, a Christian name. So one who was Muhammad becomes Paul or something like that. It's a bit like you see the change from Saul to to Paul, there is some transformation in the names. There is something there. Jacob, Israel. There is something in the name that here, God is saying to everybody in public, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. At your baptism, in our own baptism, we know the affirmation, the love of our heavenly father. What's interesting is he then goes out from that place of affirmation with confidence. I ask you, how do you feel when somebody tells you, looks at you and says, you're great, or well done, or they could use other words or a different way of expressing it depending on how close you are to them. There is something that it does to you. It gives you encouragement. I'm a Man United fan in case you didn't know. And um, I do, um, it's a great team. It's won so many titles and it's waiting for other teams to catch up. Um, 
so we'll start winning again at some point. But we're, we're giving time to others to um, also get some titers. The point I want to make is it's interesting. What my, my attraction to football many times was watching football managers and how they coach and how they lead. That's what drew me to football, really. And so it's on the touchline. Do you see how expressive some managers are? They howl at the players. And, and for some of them, that motivates them to do better. But for others, it just breaks them. And you find other managers, other leaders, the way they are on the touchline is motivating to the players. And you find the players respond. And they're built up. And they get better. They have the skill already, but it's much more than, than the skill. There is something about their character forming. Maybe you're a parent or a grandparent or, or a leader or a coach or a manager, whatever position it is. How do you motivate and encourage those that you work with? It's interesting, isn't it? Do you scold them in public or do you do that in private? I'm not saying one way is better than the other, but it's interesting to see how the father here with the son in public gives him that praise and affirmation. And then he goes from there. What's the next scene? The wilderness. So he moves on from that place to the wilderness. There's confidence, a place of affirmation. He knows that he is loved by his father. In chapter 4 from verse 1, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Again, another beautiful picture of looking at the unity of the Godhead here. We are talking about, in our vision, belong, serve, give, belonging. You'll hear me say this all through the year, and you might get tired of it, but there is something about doing, doing church, being a Christian. You can do it on your own. There's a place for that. You can pray alone. You can do church on your own. You can read the Bible on your own. You can worship alone. But it gets better when you find one or two other people to do that with. Even better if you're part of a connect group, up to 12. At the moment, we have 10. I was delighted to say that I'm, after last week, there are some people who have joined connect groups and there's a list of others who are waiting to join another. But if you're here this morning and you're not yet part of a connect group, and you would love to be part of a connect group, you wonder what I mean when I say connect group. A group, a smaller group that you can meet with away from a Sunday morning and do various things. Those groups look different. Some of them meet on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday. They'll meet in the evening or in the day. When they meet, what do they do? There's the picture in Acts 2 of the fellowship of believers. When they gathered together, they broke bread with each other. So eating is good. What do you like to eat? Pizza or, or cake or, or go out for a pint in the pub? I don't know what your thing is. But eating features quite a lot. Prayer, something fun that you enjoy, accountability. And through those groups, you can look out for each other so that when somebody isn't well, they know, yes, we've got our small group here. Maybe we have a WhatsApp group. Or we have um, maybe Facebook or door-to-door. In the old, you go and knock on their door and say, Hello, Simon. 
I've got a coffee for you. Have you had a good week? Just a practical thing. Jesus has this triune sense. We see him with the Father, and now the Spirit is leading him into the wilderness. There is a beauty of the Trinity at work here, that he knows he's not on his own. It gives him confidence in his ministry that he is not alone. He can go boldly into the wilderness in the confidence and comfort of his father's affirmation and the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus leaves, he promises to send us a helper who will be with us. I know there are a couple of people as I look around who are bereaved and have recently lost uh, both of them, their, their moms. And what do I say when I go along to be with them? I don't have the words that will comfort them enough, but I know that the Holy Spirit knows exactly what they need and can be there. We went in the week to see a friend, a friend who I've known for many years and has been diagnosed with a terminal illness, has got cancer and he hasn't got long. And what do I say to his wife? I don't have the words. But I know that there is somebody who can say more than I can ever say can be that soothing balm in that moment. The comforting, surrounding, real presence of the Holy Spirit is what we need. That's what Jesus needed in that moment. When Jesus sends out his disciples in Matthew 28, he promises to be with them. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Chinese, Italians, Uruguayans. Germans, and more. That's all in one, by the way. I was pointing to one person who uh, contains all these. But, um, law, I will be with you to the end of the age. That's his promise. He won't leave us. Sometimes we might not feel it. Sometimes we might not feel it, but his promise is true. He will not leave us nor forsake us. Angelo has prayed this morning about many who are persecuted for their faith. It's easier to say those things when you're far. It's something else when you actually know people who are persecuted. Or when you are yourself. Holding on the promise of Jesus like this is so real. It's a wilderness of sorts, isn't it? Out there, sent out there, how do you respond? What does it look like? We need that affirmation and reassurance that God is with us and that just as Jesus was not on his own, we are not on our own. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus overcame by the word, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. I am reminded of um, in our children's group, we used to sing this one. I don't know whether I can remember it, but there was something like, Put on the sword of the spirit, la 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 the helmet of salvation, la 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 the breastplate of righteousness, la 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 the belt of truth and the shield of faith and the shoes of the gospel, the shoes of the gospel, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Try it again. Put on the sword of the spirit, la 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 the helmet of salvation, la 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 the breastplate of 
righteousness, la, 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 la. The belt of truth and the shield of faith and the shoes of the gospel, the shoes of the gospel, the shoes of the gospel of peace. That little song helped me remember the armor. What does the armor look like? It's those things. The sword of the spirit. The word of God that helps us fight. Fight against evil. That's how we see Jesus responding when he's tempted, we, we had Andrea read beautifully through chapter 4. With each temptation, what did Jesus say? It is written. It is written. He knew the word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart, that I shall not sin against you. In Psalm 119, I think it's verse 19, is it? How can a young person keep their way pure? How can a young man keep their way pure? By hiding the word of God in their hearts. In this moment of the wilderness, in those moments when people are persecuted, they might not have a big Bible to hold around because that's dangerous. Many times they have, how do they do this? Many times they'll have, from what I read, little bits that they will read and then memorize and hide in their hearts so they've got the word there because they can't hold it. In Uganda, in Idi Amin's day, I wasn't there then, but from what I read and hear from my parents, it was a bit like that. Idi Amin was um, a Muslim, and he, in his time, registered and signed up Uganda as an Islamic country. And so anybody who was moving around, um, my dad tells the tale of moving around with his guitar in its case and being stopped many times because they thought it was, it was a gun. So they would stop you and harass them and all. You couldn't do mission in an open way. That's an instrument. How about the Bible? But they found ways. And so the East African revival is birthed around people having underground churches. Underground in a way that they would meet. There's a place I remember my school. My primary school isn't existent anymore in that if I drive with you in Uganda and I say, that's where I used to go to primary school, um, it's now replaced by a hotel. Um, so it moved to some other place. But where it was, they used to meet with another church member who was in government, but was not displaying that he was a Christian. So he would host them at his place. And my childhood memory takes me back to finishing school and walking to go to Uncle Ben's house, and would gather around cups of tea and conversation, and they would make sure the windows are shut. Maybe the, one or two guitars would come out, and they would sing some praise songs and pray, and make sure it was secure enough to leave, because he had a high-powered job. And somehow the church in that part of the world grew. I couldn't go to the northern part of Uganda for many years until I was 16. My mom's from the north because of the insurgency there. And people couldn't do church or missions in a public place at all for a long time. There were, there were ambushes along the way the whole time. If anybody is going public for ministry, then you're gunned down. I remember one, I can tell you many stories, I won't tell you all of them, but I'm just trying to paint a picture to say, what does this wilderness look like for us today? 
Jesus was led into that wilderness for 40 days. Now, if he fasted for 40 days. Anybody fasted for a day? Or two? Or three? Beyond that, I think you need to check with the doctors. Not that it's, but it, it's, it's good to fast, but you've got to be wise how you do it. He cannot have done 40 days in his own strength. He was led by the Spirit. But it's interesting to see when the enemy comes to tempt him. At the end of the 40 days, at his point of weakness and vulnerability, in those wilderness moments, we can be prone to the enemy tempting us when we are weak. But Jesus overcame by the word. In James chapter 4, it says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You can do the latter, the middle and the end, resist and he will flee, but actually it starts with submitting to. Submit to God. That he who is in us will be greater than he that is in the world. If we go out in our own strength and do whatever we do, we cannot. That's the beauty of Lent. It's the beauty of this season that we deny ourselves and allow ourselves, a bit like John the Baptist said, may I decrease as he increases. That God will increase in us and that when we move around, people will know it's the Spirit of God that is leading us. As we lead worship uh, so beautifully, this morning, the band, that it's the Spirit of God leading us, ushering us into the presence of God. It's not our own skill and ability. As we lead and do the things that we do, we don't do them in our own strength, but in His. And that's the beauty that Jesus, even Jesus, can you imagine? He, he didn't have a need to do any of this, but He's modeling for us how to do it. He comes to be baptized, He who has no sin. And then He's led into the wilderness to spend time with the Father and the Spirit to show us how to overcome evil. He's rooted in the word and that's his response. Even when he's tempted by the enemy saying, you're so hungry, you can just turn, you've got the power to turn these stones into bread and eat. Man shall not. He knows it well that he can say it. What a challenge to us. This next point is not so easy, but it's linked to what I've been saying, the cost of discipleship. There is a cost to discipleship. Later through Lent, as we come to the end, Monday, Thursday, we, um, in Passion Tide in that season, we come really close to the persecution and the suffering of Jesus. Close to the cross, that it's so heavy for him to bear. In the garden, he prays, Father! If it were possible, take this cup away from me, but not as I will, but as you will. Sometimes it will be wonderful, and I encourage you, if you're not a Christian yet, please become one. It's a great thing. But in this world, Jesus promises there will be tribulation. There will be trouble. I don't know what that means for me. I don't know what that means for you. God knows. 
but he says, cheer up, I have overcome the world. And if he has overcome the world, we have confidence in him. Listen to this. Even if you choose not to follow him, this world will have trouble anyway. So I think it's better to journey with Jesus leading us and his spirit through a world that will have trouble anyway. Because that way we know we have hope in him. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he went through this world and overcame, we can overcome. And that gives us confidence and it gives us comfort. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I keep quoting in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says these words, when Christ calls or bids a man come, he bids him come and die. Now, he was a martyr himself. Some people are called specifically to that kind of ministry, and that's how they end. They lay their lives down, quite literally. Others don't. But there is some cost to discipleship somewhere, somehow. When he calls his disciples, he invites them and says, leave your, your family, your, all those things that you hold dear. All I once held dear, knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. What is that cost for you? I don't know. Each one of us knows, young and old, young and old alike, recently become Christian or a Christian for a long time. What's that cost like? The comfort is Jesus promises to journey with us. I'll bring this to a close. And just to highlight those three things for us to take away. One, that Jesus has authority over the world, the devil, and the flesh. Jesus overcame temptation and later persecution, pain, mockery, humiliation, sin, and even death. He has authority. Second, we are never alone. You might feel like you are, but the promise is you are never alone. The Holy Spirit is with us, just as he was with Jesus in the wilderness. And finally, you are loved by the Father, and in you, he is well pleased. We're going to respond in worship, but um, as, as we do, you might want to just sit for the first bit, and um, if you would like somebody to pray for you, I've got some specific things here that I put down, and you might want prayer either for those things or something else. Um, I'll be at the front, I'll invite Jane to join me, and we'll pray for you when you're ready, if you'd like prayer, but maybe you might want to turn to the person who is next to you to pray for you. The first one I have here is for anybody, you know, those opening words I use that we see John say and Jesus say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Maybe you're here and you'd like to respond to that, to say yes to Jesus, to be your Lord and Savior. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're in a place of wilderness. You don't know the presence of God. There's a promise here, but you're saying, I'm going through 
a time I really want to know God's presence with me, but I don't. I'm about to give up. You're discouraged for whatever reason. God wants to meet with you this morning. Maybe you just know, want to know his spirit on you afresh. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the spirit. All we pray is come and fall afresh on us. Why don't we pray that bit together and then the band will lead us. And then if you would like prayer for other things, please do come. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. We'll just pray that three times and we'll join in worship as Angela leads. Just pray, come Holy Spirit. And again, come Holy Spirit. And again, come Holy Spirit. Let's worship God.